Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Matt, hey, it's super awesome to have you on the podcast today. <laughs> hey, Michael, thanks. So we've been starting all of our podcasts lately. We used to start out and we'd ask like a history thing or what's the weather like, and that always gets kind of boring. Here lately, what my latest question or first question is always, what has been your favorite shoot you have ever done? Oh, wow. Okay, favorite <laughs> shoot I've ever done? Yeah, uh, uh, and it could be personal, business, whatever. What was that one thing that just sticks in your mind and is like, God, that was just so much fun, or you, the client was just so impressed with what you did, or if it's personal, it just brings back really cool memories? Well, there, there's like uh, there's a, like the type of projects that you do that you have to like stop for a second and look around, and it kind of hits you like, whoa, okay, how did I get to this place? You know, this like amazing, spectacular place that you're like, I never thought you know, that I would be here doing work, you know, um, uh, probably, uh, there's been shoots in Patagonia or the Nepal Himalaya that are like that, or, uh, or my, my wife and I, we did a, uh, we shot a ski project in, uh, in Kashmir on the border, um, with, uh, India and Pakistan and that definitely, but that definitely is strangely a favorite because it was just absolutely batshit crazy, like every aspect of it, everything from having to just the, the negotiating and the haggling to get access to places like every single step of the way. But it was incredibly difficult and it was incredibly dangerous. But that one was just like, this is, you know, crazy um, or just uh, like a favorite shoot um, like last year. uh we put on a um, a really large lot of moving part production you know in a in a in a in a city and it had to be permitted and it had we had uh, you know professional models and things like that and you know there was over a dozen of us on location just for the photography of this thing and it went off so silky smooth and everything. It, it was just a, a, a miraculous day. I remember, well, uh, yeah, it was like three days. And at the end of that week, it was just like, oh my gosh, that was the best because everything happened exactly like it was supposed to. And the work turned out better than I could have hoped. And it was just like that. So that's a favorite too, you know, like stuff like that. You know, I always ask people that question, and then I think to myself, I'm like, so if somebody asked me that question, how would I answer that? I don't think I could point to one thing. It's just like what you just did. There's so many reasons about so many different shoots that make it so much fun. And I, I guess what it boils down to is what we do is fun. If you can be out there doing something that you're passionate about and make a living at it, <clears throat> there's not much better out there, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, but fun's relative. Sometimes it's fun later. <laughs> you know, like the the euphoria comes like that. I mean, also like what what we do, there can be a lot of like when you're when you're on the job, there can be a lot of uh, a lot of pressure. And at the time, usually that's not so much fun, you know, but after the fact, when you can bask in the glory, <laughs> 
of success, that's fun, you know, or look back on what you created. That's fun. I would you know? 100% agree with that. Just because, you know, I, I guess when you do these kind of, I love talking to people like you because there's no one roadmap to how we all do what we do. And I don't think you can learn every little possible element of what we do. And a lot of times I'll find myself in a situation where it'll be, hmm, I'm just not really sure how this is going to go. And I'm not even sure if I know exactly what I'm doing right here, but I'm going to fake it. And I'm just going <laughs> to act like I know what I'm doing. And hopefully at the end of the day, it all works out. And I can't tell you, I mean, I don't do it all the time. And it just, but there'll be those little things that come up where you're like, huh, the client's going to think I'm a real ding dong if I can't, you know, if I say, well, geez, I'm not sure about that. So I end up faking it till we make it. And then you're right. The euphoria comes after when it does work out. And I think reality, you know what you're doing. It's just that it's that sense of that unknown where you're just like, hmm, I hope I'm doing this right. And generally, 99 times out of 100, it's right. But you're just questioning yourself. And that euphoria comes when you're able to deliver this product where they're like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing, da, da, da. Yeah, like you know, you know where you want to get to, and you you know where you're at, and it, but the the how to get that that you know all the assets, all the materials to put together a final video edit or 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 the signature imagery that your client is uh, depending on you to get. Um, there are you know there's a lot of different ways to get there. Hopefully, it's nice to think about all that beforehand and be able to test, you know, test out certain systems, but there are always, you know, dozens of things that aren't going to cooperate usually the way that you want. And yeah. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So we call this a wildlife and outdoor photography podcast. And I would say, and I guess outdoor adventure photography podcast. And I would say you fall into that whole outdoor adventure style of photography. Can you just give us a brief bio as to how you position yourself in the industry or, you know, the client type of work that you go after based off of what you like to shoot? Uh, t- today we go after, um, well, we, we produce commercial work for, kind of a variety, you know, a wide variety of, of different brands and companies in the outdoor industry. Um, there are some smaller, uh, independent apparel companies that we do work for. And then there are larger, um, like educational type institutions like Knowles that we do commercial work for. Um, and yeah, that's basically what we do now. Uh, and, and it's usually uh, every single project is um, equal parts uh, still photography and and video work. Has it always been that way, or has it kind of evolved into more video as you go, as you've gone forward? Uh, it's definitely evolved into a, a half and half, like the last five years. Uh, and ten years ago, of course, no, it wasn't at all. Um, I would. 10 years ago, I wouldn't even like have anything to do with the video side of it. It would be a completely actually, it would be a completely different shop. Um, and, uh, you know, on a lot of projects I would work with, um, another 
either independent filmmaker or or a complete like production studio um and we'd work together on that and like share share the stage so to speak uh now it's a lot more incorporated into one how, um, how was that transition for you was that scary to to say okay now i've got to kind of learn a whole nother thing and i've got to pick up video one thing i've said a lot on this podcast is i do think if you start out as a still photographer and you move into the videography, I think it ends up still photographers make better videographers than videographers making becoming still photographers. I would because concur. I think you just have that vision and you can capture it in one frame. So if you can do that and you just add a little bit of movement and understand some of the basics, I think you can move into the videography fairly easy. What was it like for you? Uh, I, I was excited about it, frankly, but um, I was also excited about digital photography. Um, I guess I, I've been I've been a photographer. I've been making all of my money as a photographer since the mid 90s. So I've been in this for a while and um, it's been you know, I, I look forward to kind of like the new challenges or new uh, ways to tell stories and things like that, because um it, it is easy to get stale, you know, it's easy to start it kind of getting repetitious and things like that. And I don't think any of us got into this business to feel like you're in a, a factory setting where you're just producing project, project, project. It's nice when things have a little bit of a different, um, different tools to them. Now, you know, we use aerial drones for both photography and video and, and, you know, it's, it's nice like that. Um, so when it first started, gosh, about, yeah, it was about like, I don't know, eight years ago, six years ago, uh, we started messing around with it. You know, I kind of saw the way things were going and I started kind of, I started educating myself on it. Um, but one of the strange things that had been uh, happening when, before I even got into uh, directing or shooting video work and looking into it was uh, I would be working with videographers or mostly videographers. I wouldn't say filmmakers or cinematographers, but on, you know, like on travel type projects where it's me and an assistant and uh, a videographer and assistant and we're, that's all the crew we have. Uh, I would help them out with their lighting. Uh, they didn't really, uh, you know, they didn't have a, well, they asked me, they would ask me like, uh, especially when I would, uh, you know, for some projects you shoot a bunch of stuff and then there's always a time it comes down to like focusing on people and making kind of like hero shots, stuff like that. And I would like those and, uh, they would notice the difference between, uh, my finished product and their finished product. And they'd be like, how do you get the light like that? And so, you know, just kind of educating them on, oh, well, you know, you make a bigger source, place it closer as you can and stuff. Because I always notice that they just take really harsh lights, you know, um, hot lights and uh, plug them in someplace and then just flood the whole room with them. And they'd be like 20 <laughs> feet away from the subject. And so it'd just be this really harsh, really specular type of unflattering light but they would be like oh it's good and it was like just quantity of light we just need to get light in there not really concerned about quality of it the quality of light and so even to this day like sometimes i'll, I'll be working I'll, I'll hire a dp to work on a project or i'm put on an art project with a videographer and um 
yeah, just helping them out with their lighting and stuff. Uh, so I kind of like got into it, you know, started crossing the divide in that that aspect. And and, and it's really funny. Yeah, now I kind of see it all as one. Well, you know? and I think a lot of one of the things that helps there is the equipment is kind of dual purpose now, right? Do you how, yeah. how do you do it? Do you use a specific video camera like a red or do you just no. use a DSLR and you're using it for stills on one minute and then you know, or half the day and the next half you're using that same camera, but you're switching into video mode and doing that. If it's, if I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to shoot the work, uh, then I shoot with an icon DSLR. Um, that's what I feel comfortable with. I know my way around it, but what I do is, uh, what I try to do is if I'm going to be the, if I'm going to be doing the photography and the video, I try to break it into two different days. Sometimes, especially with certain uh, more adventurous outdoor industry clients, that's not really feasible because that means we'd have to get the athletes back up into a, uh, a, a location that's just really involved. And it's like, okay, we're going to do it all. And then I make sure I have, um, I, I like to have like the, the subjects and then like two different assistants with me. And that just helps with all that, like moving gear, getting stuff set up, breaking down. But I will dedicate uh, two separate cameras. So two, yeah, one one uh, camera for um, for the photography, and then one camera for the video for that day. Yeah. And, and just, then I would expect, like on some of those things, like some shoots. Let's just say, well, I'm just gonna make this up. It could fall in the line of your work. Let's say you're shooting a mountain bike shoot or you're shooting a ski shoot and these athletes are doing some incredible thing. It's not like they, you can ask them to do these off the wall things 10 times. Right. So sometimes <laughs> you almost have to be shooting simultaneously. Got video running, got stills running. Do you run into that a lot too? When you have some of that really intricate type of stuff that you need to capture? Yeah. If it's going to be like that, then I will be working with, uh, with a videographer or a DP on that. And then if I'm working with them, they can shoot whatever they feel comfortable. They can either use uh, our equipment or they can bring their own. I'm completely open to that just as long, you know, we have those technical that, you know, basically a tech scout and meeting and it's like, okay, we need to know that what they're shooting is going to, uh, is going to be fine for the client's purposes. You know, and then that's the that other side is, is the client going to do this in house? Uh, who's editing the piece? What kind, you know, what do they want to work with? What do they need to work with? All that stuff. Yeah. The the video side definitely does uh, open up a lot of, uh, it's, it's 10 times more technical on the delivery side than still photography. Um, but thankfully, like, Still photography is a second nature to me, so I can I can focus on on the technical side of video. It doesn't mean that I understand all of it, right. but I mean, especially like getting into audio. Oh, my gosh. You know, well, I think, uh, you know, audio is treated so secondarily and with a lot of people and it's just as important. And and it's something you really got to pay attention to. And I love when I go on a shoot where the client is has hired an audio person or gives me the budget to hire an audio person. Because yeah. if you can just hand that off and just know that it's getting done and done right. Yeah. There's, there's a whole sense of, or a peace of mind that comes with that, that really, but there's a lot of shoots where they're like, Oh, we don't have the budget for that. Can you guys just run audio? And I'm like, yeah, we can, but that just adds a whole nother element of worry, you know, because you just, it's gotta be right. You can't, 
you can't fake it after the fact it's well some you can fake but you know interviews and thing you know things like that you just can't duplicate again unless you bring the people back out maybe a good analogy that i've been thinking about it when i talk to clients is that you know uh you know you can do things with imagery you can you can make like a slightly out of focus picture but and it can actually work it, it can actually be the on purpose you can you can do certain things with uh, with video and cinematography to give people a hint of what's going on and sometimes that's a powerful tool you can't do out of folk out of focus audio that just doesn't work do you know what i mean yep. there's not much maybe maybe there's some artists out there who would disagree but i don't think you could do much creative with audio it's more about just getting it people want to hear it they want to like they want high quality yeah it comes yeah. to audio and like i said i think it's just as important as the visual in fact there's many studies that have been done if you have a really pretty piece with bad audio and you have a substandard piece with really good audio people right. always gravitate to the good audio piece it's always it's just such a huge part of the story and I don't know. I, I've learned a lot about it. I still have a lot to learn. The cool thing now with YouTube is you can learn a lot without having to go, you know, study under an expert, although that's the best way to do it. But I still, to this day, learn a lot of stuff just, just, yeah. by, you know, just cause you have to, you know, and if you want to really tell that whole story, audio is just as important. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Did you, always want to be a photographer or did you start out in something else and then you're like, huh, that looks kind of cool. I think I want to try that. Or did you go to school for, for, for photography? Just give us an idea how that went for you. Yeah. Um, I, I did, it, I did get my degree in, in uh, photojournalism. Uh, but before that I was, uh, I was a physics student for three years and then, um, started looking into grad programs and uh i didn't really like the the lifestyle i was seeing and that kind of uh you know that kind of just I, I was like man you know i really like the direction that this this career path is going but then i started seeing like the different the different people in the different grad programs and what that would mean of me and stuff like that for like you know, geez, four years. And if you want to go on further and that just really turned me off. And so I kind of put on the brakes. I took a semester and took, um, a bunch of different classes and yeah, I never, never went back. I got, um, I took, uh, you know, some journalism classes and I took a, a basic uh, photography class. I'd always been a picture maker my entire growing up. I was always the type of kid that had a you know, a brick 110 camera and would make pictures of, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, hand it off to my parents, you know, like five of those things of film be like, I want to, you know, and they would have to take it down to the drugstore and, you know, get it. And, you know, I always thought that that was a pretty cool magical process. Um, yeah, just never looked back after that and then got my degree in photojournalism with a minor in mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> of you know everything i had before well and i guess there's a lot of math to photography nowadays and to video i mean you're just um, we're constantly doing math just to figure out okay or yeah. you know we're working on a time lapse project right now and it's all math i mean we've got to figure out how many shots we have to take this is happening over three three weeks you know how, how fast do we want these time lapses to go i mean it's all math that we're doing i mean it's Those not triple intervals are a real bugger man <laughs> oh. 
it's not high, super intensive, you know, whatever types of math, but it's, you're doing math a lot. So how we get this question a lot. People want to know how you make a living as a photographer. And I don't think there's any one way that you do it. How did you do it? Did you, when you got out of school, then did you just go into the freelance world? Did you work for somebody else? Did you assist for somebody? How did that work? So I thought that, uh, I thought that my dream job would be working on staff at a magazine. Um, and so I, I hustled my way onto an internship in a magazine in Colorado and quickly learned that, no, I did not want to be on staff at a magazine because you're not going to learn how to be a photographer. Then I spent, you know, I think I was there for a year and, uh, I got out into the field, I think like twice, three times, you know, and the rest of the time you're doing the desk behind the scenes stuff. You're contacting other photographers and seeing what, if they have available stock photography to illustrate a story or, you know, seeing if they're doing the preliminaries for the photo editor to see if they're available for uh, an assignment or something like that. And I'm like, I want to be on the other end of this phone call. Um, but I did learn a lot. And so, um, I put that in my back pocket, but then I, I quickly realized that I need to get a, I need to get some sort of job where I'm just making pictures all the time. So then I, I got a job out at a daily newspaper, a small daily newspaper, oh. which was fantastic. Um, one of the funnest times of my entire life. Uh, you know, you're, you're shooting four to six different assignments a day. And you have to produce you, you know, it, you're showing up at something and there, you know, a picture from that is going in the paper the next morning. And when you first start off in that, you're like, Oh my God, really? You know, are you guys serious? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, get out there and go do it. And you get constant critique from the staff and your, your boss and stuff. And just nothing quite show, you know, teaches you how to, perform under pressure than that. You have to show up someplace, break down the story, make a publishable image and get out of there in 15 minutes, you know? And 15 uh, minutes is not a lot of time. If, especially when you're getting all those critiques from, you know, the higher ups or whoever's making the decisions. And we just did a podcast, a question and answer podcast on our last podcast. And we were talking about that. And I, when I re go back to my beginnings, some of those critiques were so harsh and it was like, oh. if you didn't, if you couldn't make it through that, then you had no business being a photographer, but it made me a really good photographer over time, but you're beat down time after, Oh, well, that's a nice picture, oh, yeah. but it could have been a lot nicer if you'd have done this or, you know, did you ever think about doing this or why would you shoot someone laying down or whatever it is, you know? Well, so my daily critique would um, I worked the shift where I think, I think I worked until like six or something like that. But that meant that the evening, um, the evening crew came into the paper that was going to put the, the paper together that night. This is the, this was the team that they put the paper together. They worked like from freaking like five till two in the morning or something like that. And, uh, the, um, the chief copy editor was, um, this guy named Marvin and, uh, oh man, every day. So I'd have to bring him before, you know, before I clocked out, I would bring him like what I had that day and you do the series of uh, printouts, you know, and he'd read the cap, you know, a lot of it was caption AP style captions and all this stuff. And I bring him, uh, 
And oh, every night he would just give it to me. <laughs> I'd come over there and he'd be like, oh, God, Hague, what do you what do you got for me this time? <laughs> really? This? You, you, you made a picture of this? What the? Okay. And, and what's funny is like he never really had any clout. He couldn't say, no, go back out and reshoot this or anything. He wasn't really like my boss or anything like that. But, oh, he would – he was just been doing that job for so long and he was so jaded and so just crotchety. And so like, yeah, the best thing was like if he was going through him and he stopped at one and was like, nice picture. That was like – Best week ever. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> I could sit back and drink a beer tonight. You know, I got through to Marvin, you know. Right. That's awesome. So, how long were you there at the paper? Uh, I limited my, I, I gave myself three years on staff because being a, 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 on staff at a, a newspaper is incredibly addicting. And um, actually, there was a, there was a person that was hired. The year after I started, and um, he came all the way from uh, the East Coast and uh, from Syracuse University, incredibly talented photojournalist. I mean, I, I was kind of there to get experience and move on, and I knew that. You know, where I was going to move to, I didn't know. You know, like what aspect of being a, a photographer I was going to go to. Uh, but he was like, he was he was a dyed in the wool photojournalist, you know, was only interested in stories of people all the time, everything, and it and it showed. He never left that paper. Really? Yeah. He actually uh I would I heard that he was the only photographer left at that paper. You know, newspapers cut that back their right. uh, their staffs and stuff. And right. we at that time there were three of us and um yeah, he was there. So geez, like we're talking over 20 years, you know, and it just blew my mind. I'm just like, how could, how could he do that? Like, you know, how I, I just, it escapes me, but, um, so out of those three a, years, how many did, uh, high fives did you get from Marvin? I think maybe like three. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so what did you do after the paper then? What was, what was the next, uh, rung in so, the ladder? Uh, being a news photographer in Alaska, uh, you get a lot of unique opportunities. And um, so during my – while I was on staff, I would also get calls from news agencies all over the world and, you know, hey, there's a story and we don't have anybody and we're not going to fly anybody up there. Um, and we – the three of us would just divide those up. And so those would be like little freelance assignments that you could do on your day off or take a day off and do that, work something out with the newspaper, whatever. Uh, but um, I just kind of banked those and started – that became like my, my roster of clients. And I left the newspaper and just started uh, full-time freelancing for news agencies. I had uh, – I had five different contracts, you know, so it was like steady work from the Associated Press, uh, from Reuters, uh, from the the BBC. Um, there was there was all kinds of different ways that you could piece together uh, a living as a, a freelance photojournalist, you know, um, making like 
$24,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, none of it was lucrative by any means. Right, uh, right. It's the passion it, for it. It sure was fun. And uh, then at, at the time, I was living in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I was, I was living in a, a dry cabin. Uh, a cabin doesn't have uh, it, plumbing. It's, it, you know, and uh, so, so, yeah, I was psyched. Um, then later I, uh, I, I moved to Anchorage and knew that I was going to start checking out more commercial style photography. And I'd already started doing some more stuff for magazines and that requires a, a higher level of production value than um, just straight on photojournalism work. So I started liking that, you know, more what you call more classic, like editorial work and then uh, started marketing myself around for commercial work, you know, and got in way over my head real quick. <laughs> <was> super fun. <laughs> so I guess we should back up one more time. So we didn't explain that you actually are in Anchorage right now, right? You live right. part-time in Anchorage. Well, most of the time your residence is in Anchorage, but then you yeah. also have another, I guess, explain that. Or did you grow up in Anchorage? I grew up or in Fairbanks. in Alaska? You grew up yeah. in Fairbanks. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Fairbanks. And uh, yeah, so uh, my wife and I think that the best way to live in Alaska is to travel outside of Alaska, you know, pretty regularly. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to it, uh, We, but we do prefer the winters here in South Central Alaska. We're avid snow people, and we get a lot of snow here, and uh, there's we, we don't we, we kind of enjoy a lack of uh, population. So getting out skiing, things like that is pretty easy. Uh, but, um, we started, you know, like between 2005 and 2015, we were just traveling so much and, you know, we got tired of campgrounds and hotel rooms and stuff like that. And so we decided to get a, we, we, we started like renting, uh, vans, RVs, travel trailers, stuff like that. And we settled on and we purchased a small Airstream trailer and we kept that with a, uh, a truck down. Um, and we, we would just store it. We'd find storage for it or something like that. So we go down, you know, stateside, do some work, do some playtime, um, for ourselves, and then put it in storage, come back to Alaska, something like that. And then, um, we started a family four years ago and we decided to uh, upgrade the truck in the Airstream. And so now we have a 27 foot Airstream and a Ford F-250 that we keep stateside. But we also decided that um, to be based out of that more uh, as much as possible uh, while our son was growing up. Um, and yeah, so like the last few year, three years, we've been spending a majority of our time in that. Um, how does that work? Do you, uh, base, like, do you look at, okay, well, we've got all these jobs, so that's going to kind of dictate where we're going to be stateside. Yeah. And then do you add on, let's say you got a week long job shooting somewhere. Then do you say, oh, this is a really cool place. So we're just going to stay an extra couple weeks and do our own thing and, and have family time and do that sort of thing. Is that how you operate or, or how do it's, you It's kind of like choose? that. So it's kind of like that, like, uh, we'll, you know, we'll have a job for a client, uh, at a location and yeah, we have to make a decision. Well, 
oh, well, but we were planning on being in Northern California that at that time for that job. And then we'll have to make a decision. It's like, well, do we want to change our the plans for our family and or do we want to redirect? And it's like you got to weigh your options like, well, is it just there to go there and, 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 and shoot that job and then leave that area? Or is this an excuse to go to that area? So sometimes um, we just make a plan for the family uh, and then I'll just travel. I'll just fly, go shoot the job and then fly back to um, where my family is. And sometimes, uh, a lot of times, actually, I fly up to Alaska, um, check the mail, what are the plans? <laughs> uh, you know, I'll fly back for a week for a project and then fly back down. Um, or like uh, last summer, we were we sh- we were doing a bunch of campaigns for uh, Knowles uh, in Wyoming, and uh, we hadn't had a chance to spend a lot of time in Wyoming, so we used it as an opportunity, and, and uh, we uh, we were in Wyoming all summer, you know, for like two and a half three months. That's pretty cool. Different places, and so. So, yeah, we use that as an opportunity like that. So that's like a good little snapshot view into doing this as a family, right? But how hard was it to decide that, yeah, you know, because being a photographer and traveling the way we do and doing all that stuff, it's hard to have a family. How did you guys come to the realization that we can do this, we can make this work, and (laughs) this is how it's going to be? Did you plan that all out or did you just say, okay, we're doing this and however it happens, it happens? Oh yeah, Michael, we planned it out a hundred percent and it's just worked out silky smooth the entire time. <laughs> we had a lot of conversations um about, you know, hey, so what's what's life gonna look like and everything like that. And I can tell you pretty much every single thing we thought that how it was gonna go did not go even really it it didn't go that way but i wouldn't say it it went bad like the first year that uh dust his his name's dustin we call him dusty was born um i kind of blocked out uh i mean my wife and i both took like uh we both took kind of leave we worked really hard in the spring and he was born at the end of may and we knew we were spending that summer in South Central Alaska, and um, I wasn't planning on working for three months. I was like, yeah, do that. And then we were going to reassess, and the plan was to go back down to the Airstream in the fall. Um, well, it turned out that like things were going – we adapted quickly, and so then I started taking on projects, simple projects. And um, yeah, it, it, it was uh, just – well, I mean – at the, my wife and I kind of run the business together. I think it could be a lot more complicated if we both had our own career career paths and we were both looking forward to going back to work. Um, so, you know, it was just one of the, the reason I, I didn't want to spend time away was because I didn't want to miss those first three months. It wasn't that my wife was going to be overburdened by it, not be able to handle it. Um, you know, so to be like, hey, I'm I, I'm gonna go out for I gotta go do I'm gonna take this job and I'm gonna be here I I gotta travel here for like three days but then I'll be right back type of thing because really I didn't want to miss those those months you know because it goes from it everything happens so quick um, 
Uh, but then after that, yeah, it's it's actually been uh, it's been surprisingly simple. So I think uh, we might just be incredibly blessed or lucky. Um, you know, uh, my wife and I had the conversation. I was like, okay, so you know, we we talked about it over the period of the pregnancy, like, and we kept going back to no, we're gonna keep our lifestyle like this. And she she actually was looking forward to taking on the responsibility as the the primary parent and cutting back on her involvement in the business. And um, so that's that's how we are now. You know, she still has aspects of the business of our business that uh, she takes care of, but um, primarily she's she's the she's the primary parent. So, and I got to think, I don't know, I don't have any kids, so it's really hard to, to put myself in your shoes, but I would think that having, raising a kid when, in all these different locations and showing them so many different things has got to be pretty awesome as a kid to be able to be exposed to, you know, most kids are, they're exposed to kind of one thing or one neighborhood or one city. And for the first three or four or five years, it's the same people, the same friends, same environment, whereas sounds like you guys are gonna get out and see all kinds of stuff i mean i would just love to this kid is going to turn out like so like worldly kind of i would assume just by being exposed to that stuff yeah yeah it's it's been like that and that's one of the reasons we wanted to spend more time you know traveling around um because yeah it's really it is exposing him to a lot and then also the you know there's a lot of things that uh, my wife and I probably wouldn't be so interested in, but doing it as a family is like, that would be really interesting. Um, like we took a trip to Cuba and frankly, I'd never really, I mean, it was like, yeah, if, if that opportunity came up, yeah, that would be, that'd be interesting. But, um, we were in Florida. Um, and when I found out it was, a 30 minute flight from Fort Lauderdale and a $90 airline ticket. And they take care of all the visas and everything for you. I was like, we're going to Cuba for two weeks. We're going to take dusty and the, the inflatable sups and let's go to Cuba and just, you know, see what it's like, but being there. And yeah, part of the interest is taking our son there and going as a family. And frankly, it's, it's really, it was really interesting to interact with other families there, you know, is that um, local families or was it tourist families or just no, every, local, all of them? Yeah. What? No, local families. Um, and that's definitely a really interesting way to connect with people of different cultures because there's so much same, same, you know? Right. And, right. you know, instead of talking about the weather, you talk about your kids, right? <laughs> or, you know, you talk about being parents or, or something like that. And so, yeah, that's, it's, it adds a whole different dynamic, you know, like beforehand, uh, before starting a family, you know, we would visit, get together with friends and plan out where we were going to recreate or what we wanted to do personally or something like that. And now it's kind of like, what should we go do as a family? And it's really surprising, like what, comes up as being interesting you know yeah uh, but it does have it's like trade-offs like yeah he he meets all kinds of people he knows he talks about things he brings things up so we know like he's absorbing it you know uh like he knows exactly what toys he has in airstream what toys he has at home <laughs> and he tries to keep track of those you know 
Um, he knows things about places he's been. He remembers people and we've met all kinds of people and, and we spend time with them too. It's, it's a pretty slow move. We usually go someplace and set up for a, a, one to two weeks, you know? Uh, but then the other point though, the hard part, I think the biggest challenge for us is he misses friends and things like that. So like he makes friends with somebody, he wants to spend more time with them. So, um, we have to make some decisions on, you know, are we gonna, you know, are we gonna put forth effort to make that happen? Um, it becomes right. important, you know, and yeah, he might be the only like four year old boy in the whole world is just like, I want to go to school, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he loves just playing with other kids and. Well, that was know. my next question. Do you think you guys will do the homeschooling and still be out traveling, or will you kind of say, okay, let's just do this regular school thing? for a while well uh we've been talking about that and then like what's going on now kind of adds a whole another layer to it um but we're really not pushing anything um through kin we're not too concerned about him going to actually going to kindergarten and um uh you know some friends that that are ed educators that we respect their opinion it's like hey you know up through like third grade don't worry about it you know, just make sure you, he get, he gets to interact with other kids, you know? Um, and we already do see that we've kind of started, uh, my wife has kind of started, uh, doing some more, uh, structured learning time with him and things like that, that we take like wherever we go. And, you know, well, I got to think that a young person like that, that is, they, like you said, they absorb everything, right? So if you compared a kid that's out there just experiencing all this stuff to someone that is not experiencing, not having all those sensations all the time that just, I would think you'd be a little bit further ahead if you're out there doing what you guys do, as opposed to someone that's more in a traditional type situation. Yeah. I think what you learn about children are, uh, some are further ahead in one aspect and then totally shy and behind in a different aspect. And yeah, it's hard to foster like all the aspects of it. And then it's gotta be impossible. Yeah. And I don't think he tried to, I think he kind of have to, well, we're, we're kind of fans of letting that happen organically. Um, but he does know his way around a camera. He actually built a camera out of uh, like, it looked like a camera, a little camera out of his Legos. And, uh, um, really? Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. <laughs> he brought it up to me and he's like, dad, I, brought, I made a camera and he handed him and was like, I'll be dang, you know, but, um, yeah, he's That's learned uh, that he can, you know, he can start video and, and pictures on an iPhone and something like that. So he likes to grab my wife's iPhone and fill it up. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty like, awesome. Put the, put the HD video on record and don't turn it off. And right. Right. <laughs> Find your phone. It's first, it's dead. <laughs> and then second, the memory's completely built on it. <laughs> It'd be so interesting to look at the just have an interview with you twenty years from now and just see what career path he chose and just just what type of <laughs> what type of young person he is at that point. Right. It'd just be so. It'll be. It's just a a lesson in life right there. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back on the, on the actual photography thing, you said earlier you use Nikon. Yeah. What do you think? So yesterday they just had this new announcement with Canon's new little mirrorless camera. 
And mm-hmm. to me, it just looks like the Holy grail. And we don't talk about equipment too much, but you just start looking at now what you can do with just 8k raw video and 4k 120 and 20 frames a second. And it's a 45 mm-hmm. megapixel camera. How, yeah. do, you, do you concern yourself with that type of stuff? Or are you like, you know what? I get what I get with what I got and, <laughs> and people like it. So there's no sense in rocking the boat. Well, uh, one thing I would say is that I'm not a fan of like switching sides. Um, I do have, I know people, I have friends that are always offloading gear because, you know, whether it's Nikon camera, some Canon, Sony, whatever, it's like, Oh man, now I got to go to a Sony system. So they sell like, they just like offload stuff and, and that works for them. I'm not like that. I like, I, I just I have my system and I can grab a camera and I know where the stuff is on it. So that's that's a big thing for me is that's one of the reasons I choose to stay, stay in the same system. But um, technically speaking, uh, not so much for video, but definitely for photography. The thing that uh, when I test out um, when I've test out smaller body cameras, or yeah, mirrorless camera or, or whatever. I'm not a fan of a smaller body uh, because, uh, and maybe this goes back to like my geeky science part. So there's something that goes on. Okay, there's something that goes on between the lens mount and the the, the sensor plane uh, that gives you a feel. It gives you a, a certain recipe for how the depth of field on that camera is going to feel. And I, I, per, my personal preference is to try to make that gap as, as big as po- I can. Like if I could, if it was, I'm, I've tried to shoot medium format. I don't, it's clunky for me. And frankly, um, the, the, the medium format cameras out there today, digital wise, they just, um, they lack, you know, with a uh, low light focusing or if I was just a studio shooter, I probably would shoot medium format, but being a, a location photographer, um, I think the Nikons are, are where I like to be my sweet spot, but I like to have air between the lens mount and the sensor plane. Um, because like, I like what that looks like at F five, six, you know, whereas I do have a couple, uh, small Sony cameras and I use them and I'm like, well, you know, there's less distance between there. Everything's more compact and stuff like that. Even when I open up the aperture more, I don't, I don't think it looks as good. Um, but for me, but I'm also kind of like a, a low depth of field type of person. Um, like F eight, that's a big aperture for me. That's for me, that's like clamped down, man. It's like, <laughs> Whoa, I usually am in the like two, eight to 4.5 range when I'm, producing my work. That's, that's what I like. And that's kind of, I, that's the look that I push out there and it's the look that the clients come to and stuff like that. So, um, going with a, a body that's going to affect that. That's, that's a big, uh, concern of mine. Does that I, I would, sense? yeah, it makes 100% sense. And, and I think I look at that all the time too. I shoot a lot of video on red and mm-hmm. I can, 
at F8 or at F11, I can still get that look. And I think it has a lot to do with what you're saying. Because that's more of like a medium format body. Exactly. I got that space. Exactly. And I'm using it to cheat on the focus because you don't have autofocus. And if I'm shooting wildlife or if I'm shooting something, F11 is going to save my bacon more than than not. At 2.8, I'm like, this is, if you're shooting 8K video at 2.8, you better be just totally dead nuts on. Exactly. That's like shooting that that's like shooting with like a really slick like F one point two lens and shooting at F point one two. You gotta have it right on there, you know, and things can't be moving because your depth that, that focus plane is really skinny, you know. Uh yeah, so you but you find like so like my, my equivalent to that would be like uh like F five point six is where I operate a lot. And I feel like that gives me a room where talent can be like doing something on a commercial shoot and I'm still going to be able to keep their eyes sharp and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So like with a red camera, which is probably equivalent of like shooting with a medium format body with the space inside of it. Yeah. Right. right. And it, you can get away with it, but I think I have the same thing. I have a couple of little Sony's and at five, six, I just don't like it, but I grew, I, I developed my photography and my look over the years using big glass Mm. with big bodies and you just there's just something about it there's i know i can nail it with the 200 to 400 at f4 i can get the look that i'm kind of known for whereas if i take a sony and i'm at five six i'm just not getting that same look i mean i'm still getting cool pictures for sure do do you think does it look to you like you're you're kind of you're not getting that same separation between the subject foreground subject and background yeah it looks like things are just kind of pushed together yeah it just it yeah. doesn't have it so i'm not keen on that look and so i just I can't and then it is it's strange like and then i'll back down i'll be like okay we'll put it on 2.8 and for some reason it it just doesn't look the same it doesn't have the same flavor yep i agree yeah. now i i still use it a lot <laughs> i still do and and i shoot canon i have sony i have the red i i use a lot but i always gravitate to the canon big cameras Mm-hmm. with the big lenses or the red with big lenses mm-hmm. and it just is it just gives me that look and i think that's what every photographer is known for is it's like your style it's your it's your calling card right so you got to try to maintain that as much as you can but there's certain situations where having a little form factor a little sony with a whatever a 70 to 200 to 8 it just is more practical to go if you're going to some remote location or if you're hiking in 10 miles the last thing you want to do is carry 50 pounds and well yeah that or if you you know if you need to mount something on a uav you know you want something smaller and and then you know also then you want kind of everything in focus pretty much you know you kind of want that um yeah i think it goes to like tech specs don't say everything no do they because like you can just be like oh well here's the tech specs on it and so yeah i can just go out and make the and then you get out there and it's like, well, this should, if I just, you know, open up the aperture on it and it'll make things, you know, find that happy spot, but uh-uh, doesn't, doesn't work. It does. Like I hope I, I, uh, I'm super intrigued by this new Canon camera and I do shoot Canon. So I have Canon lenses and the way that it goes from the new Canon, which is an R style body or an R style lens mount, I think they call it mm-hmm. R to go to the EF style, you have to have an adapter, which then achieves what you're kind of talking about, right? You're achieving that separation between the focus or the sensor and the actual lens itself. 
So mm-hmm. I'm really curious just to try it out. The other thing yeah. too is that the minute you started involving adapters and that sort of thing, a lot of times you're losing performance. Like if you buy a Sony camera yeah. and you're using That's... an adapter and you're throwing on a Nikon lens or a Canon lens, it doesn't compare to using a Sony lens. So then, you know, then I'm back out of the game. I just can't operate the way I'm used to operating. I don't have the speed. I don't have the, what I need to accomplish what I know I can do. So it's, I'm, I'm like, I'm very intrigued by equipment. I love it. I love playing with it. I love trying to get something new, but I always gravitate back to what I know. You know, it's just like you were saying, I pick up a body and know where I'm going to, I know everything just with my hands. So. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, cause you just keep, you keep trying things out, keep looking and, you know, then, uh, then maybe something does make sense. And, you know, when, when you're, you know, like when your livelihood, it's, it's your tool belt and it's kind of like, well, do I like the heft of this hammer or not? Uh, well, okay. Maybe it's going to go in there and something does and, and you find that, but it's not going to be like every time something new comes out, it's right. going to automatically be better, you know? Right. Uh, you got to test it out and stuff and and see if it makes sense for you, I, I think. Um, and then I, I just if if it ain't broke, I don't fix it. <laughs> you know, there has to be like a reason. You I know? agree. I agree. And then you're like, OK, yeah, that's definitely a reason. Yeah. You know, move yeah. forward with it. Yeah. So what's yeah. on the horizon for you for like now we're we're recording this during the COVID-19 thing that's been going on now for what three or four months and i don't see an end to it anytime soon what how are you operating are you i I went totally just dead for like three or four months things are starting to come back a little bit at a time and we're looking at new projects and what's it like for you and then how where do you see yourself like neck in the next couple of years uh um Boy, that's a big look at a crystal ball, but uh, like right now, right now uh, we're we're we've we're choosing to to be at home in South Central Alaska, which uh, we feel pretty fortunate, and it's kind of one of the reasons that we always keep a home here is um, <laughs> running back when things get crazy stateside, we just can run back to Alaska, so it's almost not fair, but um, we we don't have that much uh, COVID activity in in our community. Um, relatively speaking. Um, but, uh, I still, you know, so May, April, April, uh, was really busy. This spring was really busy having wrapped up some, uh, campaign projects. And, uh, then we did take like a couple months and just be kind of like, let's, let's step back and see what happens. And, uh, then starting to uh, develop our own set of protocols to put out to our clients and things like, okay, you know, moving forward, this is how we're going to conduct business. And uh, it, it, I just kind of spent time on, um, on you know, sites like ASMP and uh, uh, APA site and uh, the CDC site and looking what's coming. And just we put – we actually uh, put together – um, some, just like a, a one page that we sent out, like, you know, this is how we think operating responsibly looks like we had to draft up, uh, some, uh, two different type of legal forms to help with that, you know, cause that's a big gray area. And I know a lot of, uh, 
people are concerned about liability issues. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess kind of just back to keeping projects simple. Um, you know, I'm working on a, uh, and, and, and getting back to like some local clientele that I might not really entertain, um, doing work for it. It does become kind of like, yeah, I just want to go and do some work. And so not, not really worrying about negotiating the rate and stuff with some smaller clients that just really appreciate it right now. Um, cause yeah, traveling out of state does not seem appealing. I know that you, in our previous conversation were saying you were getting on planes and going places and it's like, Oh man, I, I would really like to minimize that. Um, so thankfully we do have some local clientele that we can do, we can do business with. Um, and it's kind of like batting practice right now. It, it's keeping expectations low and going there and being like, okay, this is what it's like and kind of working your way up to it, you know, like with all the protocols and things like that. Uh, I think it's really hard to kind of gauge uh, the, the, the expectation of your clients and then also the, the subjects that you're working with because it's really easy not so much where we are, but I, other places, it, it can be really easy just to like put people off or be offensive and things like that. And as a business person, that's not what you want to do. You know, you definitely don't want to be making things more difficult right now. Um, so it is kind of, you know, it's kind of a, a, a time to be a little, you know, stepping gingerly here and there and like that. But I am, I'm anticipating that we're going to be back full tilt uh, in the fall, both for some of our larger clients here in Alaska and some of our, um, our clientele based in, you know, stateside. Um, but we, we have like a, we have a outdoor brand that we've been doing work for, for geez, like 15 years based out of that from Japan. And, um, you know, we're doing, we're continuing that, you know, that work as usual, um, the cool thing about that sort of re relationship is they know you so well and you know them so well that it's probably a lot of, a lot of times they can either, if it's product, they can send you the product and know, Oh, well, Matt's got this. He's, we don't need to be there holding exactly. his hand. We don't need to be helping with everything. Exactly. So it's, it's also a good time for clients that you have a really deep relationship with a deep level of trust, just being like, Hey, what, what do you guys need? You know, right. what, what can I do? to uh to help you guys out right now i think that's a really good place to be um uh, i know that some people can be hurting financially right now both clients and photographers and so that's kind of tough um hopefully they've been able to tap into some of the resources that are available um but uh we're, we're not really trying to rush anything um I, you know the other thing that michael is like I don't know about like what's going on. Like I know you said that you're you're starting to get things back to normal and you were like traveling for for some shoots, but uh, I'm also a little nervous about getting things up and roaring. And then you know we just don't know what it what the heck is September going to look like. Right. You know, like all over our country, the 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 data is doing different things, and I think it's going to be. 
and, and it's not like an easy thing to predict because you have you have like our, our state and our local um, leadership, you have the country's leadership, and then you have public opinion, and it's all just swirled together. And like like here it, 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 in, uh, in Anchorage, you know, in South Central Alaska, uh, I just was reading a news story uh, this morning, and uh, during the peak of the spring outbreak, uh, during the peak, we, we had like 17 cases in a day. And, uh, in our community, people were just losing their minds, <laughs> you know, this is the end. We need to shut everything down every, and, and we did, you know, yeah. everybody stayed home businesses and stuff like that. And now here we are like today, you know, the last, it's been nearly 50, uh, we're, we're, we're like nearly 50 cases, new cases a day for a couple weeks now. Really? And, uh, you know, people are still adamant that, no, we're not shutting anything down and we're, we're moving forward with a plan to start schools and stuff like that. But I don't I just don't as a business as a business person, I don't know if I can trust that. That notion, because, you know, our governor can say, you know, our governor can say something, our mayor can say something. But then once public opinion starts going, we've we've seen a very direct result. And then you could be like, okay, Hey, I'm, you know, I got it all, you know, I worked really hard and I got this all set up for us and I've got people lined up and everything. And I'll say, no, we're shut down. And I just don't know if I want to go through that. I think, I think it'd be hard and I think it could be bad for business too. You know, I 100% agree. And I don't, I don't, and that being said, then what do you do? You know, cause you can't, at some point we all got to start working again. Right. But I saw that they were hiring bus drivers. <laughs> well, I was looking at UPS drivers. <laughs> that UPS, now that would be a sweet gig. <laughs> <laughs> they were paying 21 bucks an hour plus mileage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like, well, I guess I could always do that for a while. Just because just I don't want to get where you're talking about, where you get in the throes of just getting a lot of stuff going, and then this thing goes haywire again. You just can't, I don't know, it's just a weird, a lot of the jobs that we're working on now, are we don't have a lot of contact like we're working on a time-lapse job and that okay. is like a three-week job we don't really have to talk to anybody we just know what we're shooting we can just go in and get the camera set up and then once the cameras are set up this is over three weeks we can just let them go so that's kind of cool so we're trying to look at stuff like that that'll keep us kind of busy um, mm -hmm. and then we've done a few editing jobs we're finding our clients are still wanting to produce some stuff and rather than have us come out and shoot it, they're shooting a lot of stuff just on cell phones. And then <laughs> yeah. they're sending it to us, you know, and we'll, I, the other day I made a whole sheet and was showing examples of how to shoot proper footage with the cell phone, just cause we're handing this <laughs> sheet over. To, it shows it like this and yeah. it shows step to go like this. <laughs> exactly. That's the first thing I said. It's gotta be horizontal, <laughs> but <clears throat> we're trying stuff like that where they'll then send us the footage and we'll edit it. So that's, that's pretty good because, you know, you can do so much stuff over the internet now that by sending all this footage, I mean, gigabytes of footage that we can then take and we don't ever have to see anybody and everything's done over the internet. So, yeah, I guess subconsciously I'm working in the, I wasn't planning that, but that's kind of how it's went. And it, I think now that hearing you say that it's like, you know, that's probably a good way to go. And that way you're just limiting that. The only downside is I do have to jump on a plane. So tomorrow will be the first flight since february uh-huh and uh 
but I have a cousin that is a flight attendant and I have a really good friend in Anchorage who's a pilot mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Just wear your mask, do your thing. Don't touch stuff. And you should oh, be fine. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think, think I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it definitely like, I mean, air travel is kind of a pain in the butt already. Right. It just, you know, I wouldn't be looking forward to it. And then, no. and then like, I definitely wouldn't be looking like, we're right now we have a tentative date on September 1st to uh, be reunited with the truck in the Airstream. And um, but we're going to reassess that decision, um, you know, by by August 1st to make a decision because we only want to do as a family, let's just do that one once, right. you know, right. for and then be committed to that for like three months, you know, the whole family, like I, I'll go ahead and take it and, and fly, you know, back and stuff like that. Um, but we just want to be kind of sure about it as sure as we can be. Right. Um, but as far as like with, with clients, I just, I, the, the more that you can kind of keep the cluster F, relationship with clients I always find the better you know and but you know if if people are are hot and ready to go um yeah the time last thing that sounds pretty smart I'm I'm doing stupid stuff I'm like working with talent and stuff and it's you know here locally just but just like me and a person right you know so you're limiting yeah and um just keeping it keeping it simple like that and um yeah so that's that's been interesting but yeah maybe maybe i do wish i was doing more like landscape and wildlife stuff now you know <laughs> being back in the chugach you know for the next three days with like a 600 millimeter lens and just looking for doll sheep and some nice compositions that sounds pretty sweet about right now right doesn't it yeah <laughs> i've been trying or to maybe get just out there doing drone work you know maybe just doing uav work um yeah, that, that is fun. I mean, that's a really fun thing to do. And the opportunities for stock stuff out of that is, is pretty good. Although I don't mess around with that anymore with stock stuff, but neither do I, that my, my, what that's, uh, one of the parts of the business that, uh, that Agnes is, uh, in charge of and has been in charge of for like 15 years. And so she has seen it and, uh, she's so awesome with that. Her enthusiasm for, for, for stock licensing has not diminished at really? all. I, she's completely knowledgeable in it and she negotiates well and stuff like that. But, you know, like having some publication contact us for a batch of pictures and, you know, for a few hundred dollars and she is just like psyched, like <laughs> yeah, nailed it, you know, I'm like, how can you get like, yeah, so we were having, we were having some conversations about that, but I totally, you know what, like things have come my way from, um, we have like three different agencies that we contribute to or have contributed to. Actually, I don't even know if they exist anymore. I'm completely out of that. That's her whole side of the business. But I do know she's passed things on to me where, and, and I feel that phone calls are like, Hey, you know, video stock stuff and um, of course, it always goes to the bottom of the to-do list. But maybe I should look at moving that up just for to see what happens. I guess I don't know. You, you wouldn't that? Whoa! Wouldn't that be <laughs> ironic if because of all this and we all like get you know like let's say we have another big 
you know, like a real big thing happens this fall and people are just like, screw it. We're, you know, it's, I only interact with like six other people in my life and that's it for like the next couple of years. What if there was a resurgence of stock licensing? You know, I kind of think that's, that's already happening. Ironic as anything. Yeah. I, I have a buddy that shoots for, for some big time stuff and it's all wildlife. And he used to always, you know, he was just breaking in and he's really good, but he's just breaking into the business. And he would always lose out to somebody from Europe that they would fly over to shoot because this guy's done it for 30 years. Well, now that this COVID thing's going on, he's getting a lot more work because they're just not willing to fly those people over. So yeah, I think like, to that degree, you know, and, and you being in Alaska is awesome, right? Because there's a lot of people that want Alaska content. So yeah, yeah they might, you never know. You could see a resurgence in resurgence in that kind of stuff because it, it would be the newer stuff, you know, the drone stuff or the, you know, whatever's changed in Alaska, which ch things change all the time. So you could have the latest and greatest of whatever it is that I should just start dedicating one day a week to just go out and do aerial footage like all day someplace in AK. Yep. That probably would be a smart thing to do. Which drone are you using right now? Uh, now my favorite is uh, the Mavic 2 Pro, the Mavic yeah. with the, Hasselblad. the Hasselblad camera. Yep. That's the first one with a stock camera that I actually like the photography that comes out of it, the pictures. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, like Ben, you, you know, I've been doing UAVs for video for quite some time. Um, but it wasn't until this, you know, and then we would work to put like a, a camera on for some photography, but this one has one, I can just bust it out right. and I've shot climbing pictures with it, uh, industry pictures with it, you know, um, and they, they look really good. So they did you good. go through the whole, uh, licensing and all that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to, right? Licensing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Right. When that started, I jumped on that cause we were already doing it. We were, we were early adopter. I had like, uh, <laughs> so I had a buddy, um, I don't know if you have friends like this, but I, uh, I try to like, I try to surround myself with people that are way smarter than me. Exactly. Uh, especially yeah. like on location and stuff. That's one of the things. And that's why, like, I was telling you how, you know, I had that one of my speed lights does something, you know, I, I need, I need to have a younger, smarter person. <laughs> I just be like, Matt, give me that. And gradually goes, toot, toot, toot. here you go. You know, it's, it's all back up there. But, uh, uh, a buddy of mine who um, is is really talented visually, and he always does. He's more of like the like a, a a troubled artist. He can never ever do do this for work. He has a completely other job, runs his family business. But um, I had a project, and um, I talked the client into doing a aerial video on it. And it was in the mountains. It was in the Sawtooth Mountains um, of Idaho, and it was for an outdoor brand. And uh, it was like right when this, it was like with like the the first rendition of the Phantom, that like where you used one. to attach the GoPro to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, during that project, we shot with it in the Sierra Nevada and in the Sawtooth Mountains. And we quickly realized that these things have no power uh, at altitude. And we lost three of them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, one of them we lost, we, we lost... And, uh, 
we were up late the day before. And so there was a whole card from the day before in the camera and what we shot on that one. And so we literally had to spend a day uh, doing repels down the face of this peak looking and we found pieces and parts and we collected those. We could never find the camera on it. Really? But anyways, yeah, after messing with the Phantoms for a while, I started being like, ah, oh, these things are toys. But when the first Inspire came out, I was a big fan of that. And we started using that um, a lot in the mountains. It could like actually perform at altitude and had a decent perform camera. weather, you know, and it had a good, had a good camera on it. And yeah. So we've, we've been through, we've been through like three or four different, you know, editions of, yeah. of the UAVs that come out. Yeah. Well, I think now the GPS technology is, or the software or whatever they're doing, and they're so much more reliable. I mean, because yes. those initial ones, those flyaways would happen just, you you were doing nothing wrong. It was just the drone. It's like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. And away it went. We got to the point where we were, we were uh, naming them uh, uh, post-mortem. Like that one in uh, Idaho, that one was named was Cliff. <laughs> and we had a Bob. And we had a uh, we had a shady, <laughs> like all kinds, of just how they how they died, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phantom, oh. but, uh, yeah. But yeah. I definitely should I should put that on the on the roster for the this the rest of the summer fall. I'll get out and start looking at more stock licensing for video and, and you know it, also during this time I think well one of the reasons that I just want to get out there is just to start working again, you know. Right. Right. It's it's definitely um, good to you know exercise the creative muscle, the the technical muscle, and well, and I told myself uh, no easy no easy shoots. If you know like for a, a local business, if they want me to do a portrait, you know like hey, just portraits of their their staff or something. Or there's been a lot of uh, uh, demand for these. Either either photography or video pieces that basically video, business saying we're open and this is what we're doing and kind of like a inspiring little like show and look at us clean tables and stuff like that right wearing a mask locally, right got a mask on but I've been telling myself like just treat it like you got to come out of it with something light everything you know like I've been treating them like bigger productions than what they are, which has been kind of tough because I haven't been using assistance and I've been just trying to keep it simple. And, um, so, but still like, uh, lighting every single portrait, um, you know, if it, lighting every scene that it makes sense to do and just getting the stuff out there and not, not slacking, not just being like, okay, show up, I, I can shoot this no problem. I can shoot this my phone or no, like right. really, really dive in. You know, that's the way I, to do it. I think that's it. And then, current, you know, part of that too is that it's obviously you can't charge these people what some of these bigger clients will pay, but it's a way to give back to the community too, right? It's a good thing to do. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean they're really appreciative, and yeah, you you don't you've got to slide your scale with it, and yeah, I'm not gonna charge them for all the gear I'm using and stuff like that because I, I don't need to they they don't need that I just want to do that right keep you yourself know? fresh exactly and it's it's like going to the it's like going to the creative gym you right. know 
and then you come out with it and they're just like, whoa, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's and awesome. I, and I don't think like down the road, you know, they're ever going to become a client or anything like that, but it just, yeah, it's a good feeling too. Yeah. Boy, anything you can do to make you <laughs> just some good feelings amongst uh, fellow humans these days. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something to be said for that for sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been an awesome conversation. Can you give us your social handles or places where people can go see your work? Yeah, sure. We're uh, all of our handles are Hague Photo, H A G E P H O T O, on uh, all social media platforms, and that's our website too, our portfolio site. It's just HaguePhoto.com. Really appreciate your time today. This has been an awesome conversation, and I hope to uh, maybe we can meet each other when we actually when I get up to Alaska this year. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town.